God expresses himself through his word. And that's his, his chosen primary method. The Gospel of John begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word. So everything starts with the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So with that statement, John is telling us that when you hear the words of Jesus, when you hear the Word of God, when you hear the profound but sometimes simple things that Jesus said, that is the eternal God from, from the eternity beginning speaking himself to you. For it says Jesus was the word become flesh. This is why everything that Jesus said and everything he did had such dynamic authority the wind, the waves, nature, diseases, everything yielded in a complete obedience to him because the Bible says that he created everything with his word. So when Jesus speaks, it's the voice of the creator talking to the creation. And when he said to blind eyes open, he absolutely had the authority and those blind eyes had to open. When he told the, the um, when he called Lazarus, back from the dead into his body and raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus had to do exactly what Jesus said. Another verse in the book of Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews, describes also Jesus, the eternal Jesus, the Word of God. And it says, Jesus being the brightness of God's glory and the self-expressed image of God's person is upholding all things by the word of his power. Yeah, have you ever looked out into the universe or watched any of those space movies and you see the rockets traveling, you know, at the speed of light and you see these gigantic galaxies and nebulae and it freaks you out a little bit. I don't know about you, but it does me when I think of the immenseness of it all. And I wonder how is all that, what seems chaotic to me, how's it all kept together? But the Bible says that the word holds all of that together. The universe is not chaotic. It's held together by the Word of God. And so when the Bible says, with His stripes you were healed, that is no less the Word and the authority of God speaking that holds the galaxies in place, keeps the earth spinning in position, moving around the sun. He upholds all things by the Word of His authority. Then finally, in Psalms 107, verse 20, the Bible says God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. So when the Lord is going to heal somebody, by what means does He provide that healing? By the same means He's done everything. He speaks healing to you and I. He speaks salvation. He speaks deliverance to you and I. So we are in the middle of studying in Matthew chapter 13, the parables of the kingdom. And the very first parable is the parable of the sower. And I'm not going to spend the time this morning to go back and retrace my steps, but just remember that Jesus said the good ground upon which the word of God was sown as seed 
was the ground that heard and received the seed as the word of God. And it cultivated in your heart to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. So it is absolutely essential that you receive the seed of the kingdom or the word of God, which is seed. The Bible says in Peter that you and I were born again by the seed of the word. Many people ask Jesus to come into their heart and then they have a very hard time believing that he's actually forgiven them. Their minds are filled with the, the years of, of uh, living as a sinner or some of the things that went on in their life and they have a hard time believing that, they, that God sees them as a different person. And especially when they see some of the habits that were formed in their personality or in their character continuing to play out. They struggle with the idea that they're a new creation because they see the old things. But the Bible says that you are saved because God planted the seed of Jesus in your spirit. And he brought into your spirit a new birth through him. And so you have a life and you have a righteousness that was planted in you by the word of God. And the Bible says in Peter that you were born again by incorruptible seed, which means that your shortcomings and failures or those patterns in your personality that you see that make you maybe doubt that God loves you or wonder how saved you really are, those patterns cannot corrupt the seed that is in you. So simultaneously, you've got two things going on in your life. One is fading away and the other is arising and cannot be stopped. And the one that is fading is that old man that once had authority over you. And the traces of his being in your memory may still be there and lingering. But arising in you, growing from 30 to 60 to 100 fold, is the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus planted in you through his word and it's so important that you hear the word of God and take it and believe it. You see, the word of God cannot just convict you, it's got to convince you. It's got to convert you. It's got to change you. And so I'm going to share with you this morning how you receive that seed and how it grows in you and transforms you. But first I want you to understand that it's authentic. No matter what you see in yourself in terms of your weaknesses or your shortcomings, never give up the fact that you are a new creation born again of incorruptible seed, that the word of God that's holding the universe together is planted in you and you have its authority and righteousness. And I shouldn't refer to it as it, I should call it him because his name is Jesus. Plant, grow, reap. Every farmer knows that's how it works. It's the universal law. God does everything by seed, planting, nurturing, cultivating, growing up, and then harvesting fruit. And the kingdom of God grows in the world today by the very same uh, method. And the Lord is growing in you by that same method. Planting, growing, and reaping. So the word of God is planted in you. This is why it's so dangerous for Christians to ignore the Bible. This is why it's not healthy for Christians to get saved and then just have a, um, 
have a very weak relationship with the Word of God, especially with the Gospels and with the Epistles and the, and the Word of God in the New Testament because those are potent, life-giving seeds waiting to be planted in your spirit. They will grow and produce in you exactly what they say in the Scriptures. When, Second Pe- when 1 Peter 2.24 says that with His stripes you were healed, if you plant that, let it grow in you, it'll produce the reality of the fruit that it declares. What God's Word says will become real in you if you plant it, nurture it, grow it, then the Lord will grow up in the reality of it. So the life is in the seed, just like if you were to plant tomatoes in your backyard. You're not, you're not going to see weeds grow out of a tomato seed. If it's a tomato seed, if you plant it, you nurture it, you're going to get what? Tomatoes. You're going to get tomatoes, glory to God. So remember that we shared that the good ground is the one that hears the word and bears fruit and yields 30, 60, 100 fold. So in order for you to bear fruit, you must plant the word of God in your heart, in your mind. And can I just uh, for the sake of, of taking this out of the abstract and bringing it into some crystal clarity. When the Bible talks about your heart, it can sound abstract and mysterious, but what, he, what we're really talking about is your mind combined with your will and your emotions. Now, your mind, you could think of it as different from your heart only in the sense that sometimes we dabble with things in our mind and we think about things, but we don't put our will to it. We don't grab it with our will. We don't surround it with our emotions and claim it and make it our own. We might call it a fleeting thought that goes through our mind. Some people sit in church and have fleeting thoughts. They listen to what they listen to the word being preached and it goes in one ear and out the other. It fleets. See, it doesn't take hold because their affection doesn't. They don't hear it and go, I love that. I want that. I claim that. I cogitate on that, which is a fancy preacher way of saying I think about it. So, you know, it becomes your heart when you have affection for what you're hearing and you want it and your desire takes hold of it. And so you not only should be hearing the Word of God, but you should be um, setting your affection on those things and that way it'll plant down into your heart and not just roll around on the ground, on the surface. Okay? So... um, One of my favorite verses that illustrates this is out of Proverbs chapter 4, 20 through 22. Let me read it to you. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, because they are life to those who find them, and health or medicine to all of their flesh. So here in Proverbs, the Bible is saying the seed of eternal life, Jesus the Word, you are able to receive that Word, and if you receive it the right way, that it will produce life, eternal life. As I shared last week, the life that killed death. The life that is eternal life. You will receive life, you will find life, and it will... Bring healing to your flesh. Medicine. Medicine is an amazing thing. You take medicine and it kicks out the poisons and helps the body to cure. 
And that's exactly what the Word of God does. Whatever poison thoughts are there, God's Word will wrestle against those poisons, overthrow them in your mind, and begin to allow your body to allow God's healing power to work in you. But you have to plant the Word. Well, here's how you plant it. In Proverbs, it gives us the formula. When he says, my son, attend to my Word, that means put in the time to learn the Word of God. It doesn't work by magic. And you can't just sit and listen to sermons. People sit and listen to sermons. By the time they get in the car, they've forgotten it. You've got to take that word and you've got to put in the time to learn it. You need to be reading the word of God. You need to be studying. I brought some things I'm going to give you. I'm going to pass out this morning to help you. Hallelujah. Get that essential word into you today. And you can take this, fold it up, put it in your Bible. Hallelujah. And uh, begin to work on it. We'll go over that a little bit later. So attend to the Word of God. Make it a priority. You know, at least once a week you need to be gathering with God's people and hear what is the Lord saying to the churches. That is the Word of God. We want to hear what He's saying. You know, too often the time, and I think more and more today this is happening, it's been a cultural shift taking place in churches, but more people are coming to church today wanting to hear some kind of a message to help them relate to the changing environment of the world around them. But the most important reason why we ought to be gathering is not to hear some clever message about how we deal with the social changes or the politics of the day, but we need to come and hear that ancient wisdom that timeless wisdom, the Word of God that never changes, no matter what the world is doing, it's the Word that holds the universe together. We need believers today that are strong in faith because they're not hearing clever sayings in church, but they're gathering and hearing a Word that'll feed them and grow the kingdom on the inside. Praise the Lord. I'm not mad, just excited. Praise the Lord. Just let you know that. Um, secondly, it says... Incline your ear to my sayings. When I hear incline your ear, I see submitted listening. I see the teacher saying, listen, not just pay attention, but open your heart. Open your heart and change your mind based on what you're hearing. When you read the Word of God, you're bound to hear things and stop dead in your tracks and go, oh, I don't know, that, that sort of... Uh, I don't know if that really agrees. You need to be willing to lower your will and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You teach me. You change my mind. Incline your stubbornness, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness. Stubborn Christians have got a problem growing, and they're going to have a problem with the Word of God in their life. You can't afford to be stubborn. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, Lord, I'm reading this in your word and I don't understand it, so I don't want to just throw myself into it. Help me to understand it, but I'm willing to submit. It's when you become unwilling, so incline your ear. If you will humble yourself, God will give you understanding. But if you stand back and you say, well, I don't know about that and I don't believe that, and you have an attitude like that, you're not going to have understanding. Wisdom and understanding do not come to arrogant people that are self-willed. You've got to incline your ear, which means you lower your ear a little lower than Jesus' word. You, you put yourself under the submission to the word. So you get that. Then it says, do not let those words depart from your eyes. In other words, fight and cast down distractions. 
When you hear the word of God and you're excited and you receive the truth of God's word, you go, oh my gosh, hallelujah. The Lord has given me the righteousness of God in Christ. Then you get up later that day or the next day, circumstances arise and uh, you do something dumb or something, you know, that is typical of your old self. And you're so quick to just say, oh, forget it. Oh, just, I'm not, I'm just the same. I haven't changed. No, fight, the Bible says, fight the fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Don't give in. Don't let the devil come walking through your bad habits and claim what God has given to you. Hallelujah. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Do not let them depart from your eye. That's the time when circumstances are fighting to, to try to um, kick out the reality of what God is saying to you. Hold on to the word and say, no, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am forgiven. This is what the word says. Quote that word. Remember it. And in the face of other circumstances that are trying to change your mind, stand up and resist and cast those things down. Refuse those distractions. And then finally it says, keep them in the midst of your heart. This is the one most of us forget. And I want to stress it the most, and it's why I've brought these for you today. How do you keep the word of God in the midst of your heart? By confessing the word. Changing the way you talk so that you reroute your daily language to agree with what the word says instead of what your feelings say or what the television says or what your Christian friends say or everybody else says. I have to work on this, and I've been a Christian for a long time. And I have to, and I suppose that between now and G, the time when the Lord takes me or Jesus comes, I'm going to always be working on it. It's a discipline, and I have to work on it. If I don't, I degrade and begin to fall apart. Every day, you have to work on your confession confessing and speaking what the Word of God says instead of what your circumstances say. That's how you keep the Word in the midst of your heart. If you don't, daily life has a way of just burning off the Word of God. Every day, Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so you have to remind yourself, and especially when you're up against circumstances, speak the Word. Speak the word of God. Now, let me say to you that um, when we think about speaking the word of God, we, we run into immediately a problem because we are going to be speaking things that are completely opposite of a lot of the circumstances we find. Why did Abraham, for 25 years, refer to himself as, as God called him an exalted father when he's an old man, his wife was old, and he had no children? But God had said, you're going to have children. So God said, before you have those children, I want you to go around and tell everybody you're a father of many nations. Now they're going to laugh at you for 25 years. <clears throat> can you put up with that? Abraham said, I think I can do that. Because Abraham was convinced. And so for 25 years, he'd go to the deli. And he'd order, you know, whatever it was he was ordering. And, uh, you know... He'd come in and he'd say, I called in ahead. I'm father of many nations. I've got an order of, of uh, brisket. <laughs> Whatever. I figured he's Jewish. He's, you know, 
He's not Jewish yet, he's, he's, but he's going to get there. So at any rate, you know, the, the, behind his back, the uh, Moshe who runs the deli and his friends are like, poor old man's going around the bend. He's calling, now referring to himself as the father of many nations. But you're going to end up speaking things and confessing things that in the naked facts of your circumstances are going, to, are going to show the very opposite of what you're saying. So how do you deal with that reality? Well, Romans chapter 8 verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There are two laws that occupy the space of your life simultaneously at any given time. One is the default law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is God's law. The devil didn't come up with it. God came up with it. The law of sin and death basically is outlined in Ezekiel 18.4 where God said, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so Adam brought the entire human race under the law of sin and death. And it became the default position of mankind. And so it's not the devil that people uh, uh, get cancer or wear out or get hit by a bus and die. It's terrible. It's not always the devil. In the most general sense of the word, even if the devil is involved with people getting sick or accidents happening, in the broader sense of the word, it's the law of God that says the soul that sins, it shall die. So the whole human race is consigned to a death sentence. In fact, God said it's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. That's the default position of the law of sin and death. We're not fighting the devil when we fight the law of sin and death. That's God's law. Somebody say amen if you're catching what I'm saying. <clears throat> the devil doesn't operate outside of God's law. He operates within God's law. So the law of sin and death is there. But the Bible says the law of the spirit of life in Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there's a default position that I find myself in if I don't take deliberate action every day. The default position of sin and death is going to lay my day out for me, is going to run my life for me, is going to master my way just automatically. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love me. It doesn't mean I'm outside of God's will. It means just I'm coasting along in God's default law because I haven't chosen to apply to the higher law of life in Christ. Are you listening to what I'm saying this morning? But Jesus has come and he has made available a higher law. This is not a default law. It's a law that must be chosen. Have you ever noticed in life the bad stuff always happens? You don't have to choose it. It just comes. The flu comes to town, you just get it. You don't have to go out and try to get it. It just comes to you. You drive around on those four tires long enough, you're going to have a blowout. It just happens. It comes to you. 
See, you have to actually make a decision and choose to have the better stuff. If you want something better, you actually have to do something proactive to get it. There's no such thing as luck. Have you ever seen us in church have an altar call for good luck? <laughs> Praise the Lord this morning. There's a good luck anointing here. Everyone that wants good luck, please come forward. Going to Vegas this weekend, I need the luck of Jesus. No, this higher law of life in Christ must be chosen by faith. In other words, it's the word and you must take it and plant it in a heart that you have prepared where you will receive the word with honor, with the dignity and honor that it deserves. You will respect it and treat it as the word of life, as the word of God. You will set it up above everything else. And when that word of God in you is being challenged by the default law of sin and death, you slap that, that uh, old law down with the word of God. You say, no, the word of God says. No, the word of See, the devil came to Jesus. And he said, well, it's written, if you throw yourself down off this mountain, the Lord's going to send his angels. And he was twisting the scriptures. And Jesus said, shut up, it is written. He just put him quiet. He said, no, devil, it is written. It is written. So the devil's even going to try to quote the Bible to you. You don't let the, don't let the devil ever talk to you. I don't care if the devil comes and gets his iPhone out and says, I saw you doing this the other day, and plays the little video clip for you, and go, oh my God. I didn't think anybody was looking, the devil was looking, caught it on his iPhone. I don't care if he shows you the iPhone clip of you doing stupid stuff. You shut him down. Right now, you don't listen to him. Because the Bible says that you're under the blood of Jesus, and the blood speaks better things than that of Abel. Maybe your blood does have some able guilt in it, but you've got the blood of Jesus over you, and God's waiting for you to take hold of that blood. He's waiting for you to agree with that blood. He's waiting for you to repeat what the blood is saying. Satan, shut up. Get out of my face. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's what Jesus said. You can take that to the bank. You need to stuff that in your heart. You need to memorize that verse and begin to confess it. You need to be able to get that verse out and speak it. That's a useful thing right there. Hallelujah. The miracle of flight was really nothing more than the application of a greater law over a lesser law. That's all we're talking about is applying God's greater law over the default lesser law of God. For example, the lesser law that keeps us from flying is called what? Gravity. Praise the Lord, gravity. 
Gravity, I love watching those old black and white films from the late 1800s and early of people trying to fly. Poor guys, I feel bad. You know, they'd make, you know, wings on them and, and jump off of cliffs and everything. They had the dream they wanted to fly, but they couldn't do it. Gravity kept winning. But one day, man learned there was a higher law. It was there the whole time. Those laws that would allow us to fly were there from the beginning. But we didn't know those laws. We couldn't design according to those laws. But I fly all the time. I bet most of you have flown quite a bit. You put your trust in those laws every time you climb into one of those metal tubes and go roaring off down the runway and here's this object bigger than the air you displace and it's not even flapping but it's flying. And you're just rolling along at 33, 35,000 feet up there. Last trip I was on, there was a sweet elderly lady sitting beside me. And uh, she had spent her life working in an executive position on Wall Street. So she was not dumb by any, any far stretch of the imagination. But we hit some turbulence and the plane started to shake and rattle. And immediately I felt my arm grab. And she just grabbed me with both hands and she held onto my arm like that. And I could tell she was just as scared as could be. I put my hand on her and she, she said, do you mind if I just hold on to you? I said, no, dude, you just go right ahead. That's all right. I said, uh, and I thought, really, you really should because this plane ain't going down. I'm on it. I don't know about anybody else, but I've got a covenant with God. It's not that I'm special, but Jesus in me is special. So I said, it's going to be all right, but she just held on anyway, which was fine with me. So the law of aerodynamics, the law of aerodynamics allowed man to eventually do what? Rise up and fly above the earth. Do you know that while the law of aerodynamics is working and you're coasting along at 35,000 feet, you're not destroying the law of gravity. The law of gravity is still working. And you know, I could prove it to you, but you wouldn't want to learn the hard way. Cut the engines. Gravity is still at work. And it's the same thing in your life. While you're flying with Jesus, walking in the peace and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, behaving and acting like a Christian the whole time, those nasty, crazy, idiosyncratic feelings and thoughts and twisted ways are there pulling on you like gravity, just waiting for you to cut the engines, just waiting for you to drop an engine or, or uh, depressurize the cabin, destabilize yourself. In other words, just waiting for you to get off of the Word of God. And that lesser default law will immediately kick in and drag you down. And as you're plummeting to the earth, the devil wants to hear you say, I knew I wasn't saved. I knew the Lord didn't love me. I knew it wasn't working for me. When the whole time what's happened is you let go of the Word. Hold on to the Word. It's the Word of life. And it is the higher, greater law. And it will supersede the law of sin and death. That's what Paul said. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now listen. When he said the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death, 
He wasn't saying that the law of sin and death no longer has any bearing on you or it's no longer real. You're not free from it in that it's not a factor in your life. You're free to choose life. Do you understand? The freedom that the law of the spirit of life has given you is the freedom of choice. Not ridding you from the challenge of death and sin. If you've ever wondered, how can I be a Christian and be the righteousness of God in Christ and still struggle with sin? Because nowhere in the Word of God has anything that the Lord said ever been meant or intended by God to interpret the idea that the law of sin and death simply ceases to have any implication in your life. No. What the law of the spirit of life in Christ has done is given you freedom to choose the higher law, which means incline your ear, pay attention, incline your ear, keep your eyes on the word, and then confess it. In other words, plant, let the word grow, and it will produce life and health in your life. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus is worthy. Let me finish by sharing with you one of my favorite verses out of Galatians. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And I love this. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by believing and confessing the word of God. That is what is meant by I live by the faith of the Son of God. I used to read that and I thought, well, that's that living by the faith of the Son of God, maybe that means that there's this automatic sort of management of my life that just mystically, magically takes over and the Lord is conducting me through life and he's managing my life for me. I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus is having faith for me and he's working everything out. Well, I do believe that the Lord's faith is towards me and his favor is towards me. But when it says, I live by the faith of the Son of God, notice it says, I live. So I'm the one who is tapping Jesus' faith. I'm using it. And how do I do that? By planting the word, hearing the word of God, believing the word of God. And I'll give you a practical illustration. All of us have to work on our character and on our personality. But Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. And against such there is no law. Temperance being self-control. So these beautiful fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Well, what if by nature you're not a peaceful person? Some people by nature are cantankerous. I know you probably find that hard to believe. <laughs> and you may not know anybody like that intimately, but there are people, they're just, they, just, they just have a tendency to be drawn into strife. They, they just can't stay peaceful. They, if, if they're in a situation of peace, they're going to mess it up. Just give them a little bit of time, they're going to mess it up. Um, some people are just downers. 
They, they're what I call, they got an Eeyore personality. Remember Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? They just have that Eeyore. They're not a Tigger. They're an Eeyore. And they just, they, they look at the, you know, they look at the negative side of everything. It's a tendency that they have. So we all have these idiosyncrasies in our personality. Now as a Christian, how do you take the Word of God and transform those tendencies in you? When the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, for example, and when the Bible talks about facing joy, uh, trials with rejoicing, if it is against your nature to rejoice, some people it's just not in their nature to rejoice. They, they could be in the most uh, potent and powerful moving of the Spirit in a church service, joy, everybody's clapping and having a good time, and they're just going to be like, it's just, I'm sorry, I'm just not made that way. This is the way I'm made. I mean, I'm enjoying this, but this is how I enjoy it. And the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, and, and leap for joy. The Bible actually commands you, leap for joy. When's the last time you leapt? When's the last time you were able to actually get yourself six inches off the ground? I mean, I, some of you may have to work out. But the, the point is, the Bible says, leap for joy. The Bible says, shout for joy. The last time you shouted, you had to repent for some of the things that came out of your mouth. You know, you, the only time you shout is when you're ticked off at somebody. When's the last time you shouted, oh, thank you, Jesus, and you weren't shouting it at somebody, you were trying to make a point. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> See, the Bible says we ought to be expressing these very healthy kind of love, joy, peace. But what if you're not wired that way? Most Christians cannot get past how they're wired to, to you know, become the Christian that, that can you know, express love, joy, peace. And so most Christians end up not walking in the victory of the fruit of the Spirit. They walk in what comes natural to them. And they just simply do without the blessing of, of what God wants to bring. You can't be victorious if you're going to pick and choose like that. You've got to be obedient. You've got to walk in the fullness of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So how do you do it? Well, let me tell you, if you'll get Galatians 5 and you'll read that list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and then do a study in the Bible on every one of those words. Love, what's the Bible say about love? When you study it, you're going to find verses in 1 John that say, this is love, not that I love God, but that He first loved me. Oh, that takes the heavy lifting out of it. And you're going to come across Romans 5, 5 that says, The love of God was shed abroad in my heart through the Holy Spirit. Wow! I've got love in me that I didn't have to come up with. God's love is in me. He first loved me. That's how I can love Him. So as you start studying about love, love will start working in you as you gain understanding. You'll start learning what agape is. You'll learn what love is. And you know what? you will start seeing God's love filtering through those old ways of yours. The same with joy, the same with peace. When you read about peace and Jesus being the umpire of your soul, the prince of peace, you'll start experiencing the peace. If you plant the seed of the word, it will produce the fruit of what it's talking about in your life. That's the secret. You could come up to a thousand altar calls and say, I need peace. Hit me with some peace, preacher. 
There's an altar call. I'm going to go up and get some peace. Give me some peace. But the best way that I know is to just plant the seeds of peace. Study what the Word says about peace and it will grow peace in you. You'll change. And it'll be so wonderful because it'll, it'll be between you and the Lord. It'll be real. You'll see it. It'll make you happy. You'll rejoice. You'll be so glad that you're, wow, the Lord's moving in me. You'll have encouragement because you'll see God moving. It'll work for anybody. The Word works for anyone who will receive it 30, 60, 100 fold. Close your Bible. Let's stand together.